Hello, this is Brian Bullington, and I am pastor of New Song Family Church in Ventuk, Namibia. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, and it's my prayer that this podcast message will help you to grow closer to Jesus as you walk daily with Him. Have you, have you been told that, I'm sure, by people in your life? Hopefully. If you've never been told I love you, uh, see me at coffee, and uh, I'll, I'll find you. And I'll tell you I love you even if I don't even mean it. I'm, I'm joking. No. I, uh, you, need to, you need to hear that you're loved. You need to be loved. Uh, you are loved, but you just may not be aware of it. All of us operate in different levels of understanding how we're loved or how we're not. We perceive uh, people's love and how the church loves us, how God loves us. And uh, we make decisions based off of that understanding. Uh, the church makes decisions based off of how well they feel loved or not. The last two years uh, has been challenging for the world, not, not just Namibia, but for the world. And uh, for obvious reasons, uh, church attendance uh, has dropped around the world. And uh, there's been all kinds of surveys and research done about this around the world. And the, the latest out of the United States is that about 30 percent attendance has dropped about 30 percent. Uh, in at least in American churches, and uh, I would say that's that's true around the world. Uh, there's been this drop, uh, but mainly because people just don't want to get sick and die. That's been one of the main reasons. Um, prior prior to the the global pandemic, uh, there were uh, different studies that were done, and uh, of why people actually stay in church or why they leave church why they continue to be faithful, and uh, there's all kinds of uh, studies that have been done. Uh, the ones that I'm more concerned about are the reasons why people would actually, not necessarily abandon the church, but why would people abandon their faith in Jesus Christ? Why would they stop being a follower of Jesus? Those are the, those are the, research, those are the kind of uh, research projects that I'm interested in. All of us have uh, been part of churches where we've seen uh, friends and family make decisions uh, to that were once, we would say, passionate followers of Jesus Christ, uh, decide to uh, stop following Jesus Christ for whatever reason. And our, if you are a, continue to be a follower of Jesus and you see your friends decide not to continue to follow Jesus, it's, it's a heartbreaker for you. It's hard to see people, if you're following Jesus, it's hard to see people that you love uh, stop following him and be passionate about him. I don't know if, if you have family or friends that have made decisions like this and it's broken your heart, uh, but I think all of us can, can point to that. Maybe we are one of those people where we've actually said, okay, I used to be a follower of Jesus, but I'm not anymore, and these are the reasons why. There are so many different reasons why someone would say, I'm going to stop following Jesus. Um, there are a lot of reasons why they would say, I'm going to start following Jesus, but most of those hinge around the issue of love in some capacity. Love, love features very high on reasons why people would either follow Jesus or stop following Jesus. You, you ask anyone um, why they still follow Jesus, and at the top of the list will be, uh, the, at least the, this will be said at some point in their list, I, I know Jesus loves me, that's why I still follow him, he loves me. Uh, right next to it will be, uh, I still love him. Why are you part of any church or fellowship? Uh, on, on your list of reasons, at the very top there will probably be, well, I just love that church. I love them, and I know they love me. Uh, this morning, watching New Song Family Church hugging each other, um, 
this is what New Song Family Church used to be uh, prior to the global pandemic. It was known as the Hugging Church. And uh, we used to love seeing people visiting our church for the first time who were not huggers and um, watch them come to this church and be hugged by a bunch of people and get uncomfortable. It was always fun to see that because New Song Family Church is, is known like that. It's, it's been known as the Hugging Church. Why do people continue to be part of any fellowship is that in some degree they still feel loved and to some degree they still love those people. The point of departure or the, 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 the point of resiliency in our faith uh, will always hinge around this issue of, of do I feel loved? The writers of the New Testament actually understood this and uh, felt necessary to continue to remind the people that they were writing letters to that more importantly, more than anything else, that Jesus loved them. We see this. We see this uh, through many authors. Uh, Paul wrote this. Paul wrote in Ephesians 3, verse 18. It's not uh, on the PowerPoint this morning. but And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. They felt it necessary to remind people, believers, children of God, to remind them how much God actually loves them. Today we're going to look at 1 John 3. And once again, the, what the Apostle John writing a letter to the churches, expressing, among other things, but expressing very loudly how much the Father loves them, how much God loves them. 1 John 3, 1 through 3. Let me read this to you. Uh, you can just see his passion here. He says, see how very much our Father loves us. For he calls us his children. And that is what we are. But the people who belong to the world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. Dear friends, we are already God's children. But he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him. For we will see him as he really is. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. So see how much the Father loves us. This morning, um, it probably would be good if we just stopped and, and did a check, a, a heart check. Do you feel loved by God? Do you know God loves you? Do I know God loves me? I think God asked us on occasion, do you know how much I love you? I think if we knew how much he loved us, we would run after his ways with, with excitement and hope and eagerness. We would just run looking forward to that day, ultimately that we're going to be with him forever, see him face to face, becoming like him. The love of Christ is, is, is meant to inspire us to, to put us in a place of eager expectation that, that, that we're going to be like him and be with him at some day in our lives. That's how we live our lives with that knowing we're loved. We live with this eager expectation. Life becomes a life that's, that's represented by hope in what's coming and hope in, in what's coming not just for eternity but what's coming the next day as, as we increase our affections for this one who loves us first and who loves us perfectly. 1 John 3, 
is intriguing to me for so many different reasons, but one of the reasons why I chose this text is because this letter is written to people very much like us. These people uh, in uh, the, the people he was writing to <clears throat> had had many in their group leave the faith, had uh, at some point expressed that they were followers of Jesus, but then decided not to follow Jesus anymore for whatever reason. And they were actively within the church and outside of the church preaching um, a message of, of anti-Jesus, uh, a message of that Jesus does not save, uh, preaching that Jesus did not come give his life and, and save people. Uh, basically, as, as John writes about them, he calls them the, the Antichrist, was actually in their midst and outside their midst preaching a different gospel. That, but they had been at some point part of their group. Uh, all of us can, can relate to this, right? We've all been part of churches or are part of uh, fellowships that have had people who once followed Jesus very faithfully but then decided to stop following him. John's message to them was, don't forget see how much the Father loves you. That, that's, that's the solution to remain, to continue to remain. Don't be like those. You are a child of God. God loves you. Continue to remain faithful. So he's writing to God's children. This letter is written to people like you, to people like me, children of God, he goes into exhaustive explanation of the, who he's actually writing to. In 1 John 2, uh, he talks about, he says, you're God's children, you are mature in the faith. Some of you have just become children in the faith, and you're young in the faith. But you've won the battle. You belong to the Father. You're strong. God lives in your hearts. See how much the Father loves you. It, it's a letter to people like you and me. Uh, many of us in this room here are believers. Many of us are followers of Jesus Christ, but uh, we may not understand just how deeply Jesus loves us. It's actually possible that, that when we actually gave our lives to Jesus, I put that in quotation marks, when we decided to be followers of Jesus Christ, we did so not because we knew how much God loved us, but because we wanted to avoid eternity in hell. Uh, maybe we did so out of fear. And that we want to make sure we believe that Jesus is the only way to, to have life. And, and so we said, okay, I'm going to play faith in this Jesus because I want a get out of hell free card. But possibly we didn't follow Jesus because of how much he loves us. And, and if that is you, if that is your situation, then possibly you're living your life uh, outside of an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. You're missing out on the sweetness uh, of, of life that can only be had in that intimate, sweet relationship with Jesus Christ. So we believe, okay, we're not, we're not going to hell, but otherwise we're just kind of simmering, not doing well. Because we're not living in this relational, continual, increasing, perfecting that relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't know where you fall there, but... You're not going to go very far in your faith if, if, you, if you don't believe that Jesus Christ truly loves you. Our faith doesn't progress outside of God's incredible love. God's children, the church, needs to be reminded just how much God loves them. The mature, the immature, still children of God, 
need to be reminded that Jesus loves them. I need to hear from my God that he loves me. I need it on a regular basis. That's, what's, that's, what's, that's what keeps me following my Savior is that love relationship. And, and honestly, theology, doctrine, the responsibilities of being a Christian, all of those things are important, extremely, extremely important. But the glue, the thing that keeps me following Jesus Christ is that relationship with Jesus. Theology and doctrine leads me to the living word, the, the one who I have intimacy with, the one who loves me, the one I love. I'm, I'm married to, to Dana Bullington. We have a, a marriage certificate uh, to prove that. I, can, I have it in file at my house. It's a file that says that on a specific day, Dana and I got married. Um, th that's not what keeps us together. The courts of Texas, Tarrant County, Texas, decided that and agreed with us that on this day we got married, October 27th of 1990. But that's not what keeps us together. It's, it's, it's God's love in through us that continues uh, to, to make our marriage work. It, it's a love issue, not a document issue. God calls us to love. John says, look, I want you to experience this incredible love, this fellowship. I want you to understand the joy that we have. 1 John 1 verse 3 says this, we proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard. Why? So that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. Why are we telling you that Jesus loves you? So that you can experience the intimacy of that relationship with God. That sweetness, that awesomeness of joy that can only be in him. Do you know this morning that Jesus loves you? Do you know? There's so many reasons why we follow God but it's that love relationship that is the glue. God's love, God loves so much that he changes our identity. And that's a compelling case, right? See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children. 1 John 3, and this is what we are. Our identity changes. His love is so extraordinary for us that it moves us into a place of a new identity. And this is huge, especially in a world that has embraced the fluid identity narrative. Our identity is totally different thing than our character, our behavior. Who we are is different than what we do and different than even our temptations. Christ loves us so much that he gives us a new identity. It says, you're my child. This is who you are. This is an extraordinary type of love, and it's huge. It has huge implications for you and for me. Do I know God loves me so much that I understand that I have a new identity? That I get that I am a child of God? Not a child of anything else, but who I am has been changed. 
Listen, if we operate from the belief that we're messed up or that we're fundamentally flawed, we're operating from what? From shame. Shame says, I am a worthless, terrible person. There's no hope for me. Shame says, this is who I am. I have no other choice than to behave this way. How do we deal with shame? We have to, we have to choose. We have to actually receive this new identity that we have in Jesus Christ. The only way I can stop being this person that is worthless and horrible and flawed is to become a new person in Jesus Christ. God loves us so much that he changes our identity. Look, character is fluid, but in Christ, our identity is fixed. As a child of God, I operate with hope, trusting that I'm a new person, not flawed, becoming like Jesus more and more each day, becoming less and less like the flawed human being that does not belong to God, operating totally without his love, without his power. Now I begin to operate from perspective of, of I am a child of God. I'm not, and, and instead of operating from a perspective of shame that I'm worthless and horrible, that I won't amount to anything. If we're honest, every one of us at some stage of our life have operated from a perspective of shame. I know I certainly have. John says this, he says, 1 John 3 verse 9, those who've been born into God's family do not, they don't, do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are what? Children of God. Not because they tried harder, but because their identity has been changed. We become children of God. He loved us so much that he changes our identity, who we are. What an incredible God we have, right? How much does he really love us? He changes our identity. You wonder, is this only John saying this? Or is this, was this a, a common theme of people who were followers of Jesus Christ? Yes, it was. This is what Paul says, Galatians 3. Galatians 3, 26 to 29. For you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ. Like putting on what? New clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave, free, male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now you belong to Christ. You are the true children of Abraham. You are heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. How do you identify this morning? How do we identify? Is my primary identity that I'm a man? Or is it that I'm a child of God? Is my primary identity that I identify with a certain type of sexuality? Or is it that I'm a child of God? God loves us enough to, to bring us to a whole new level. And I, for one, am not going to settle for just being a man. I'm a child of God. That's who I am. I behave like a man often. But who am I? I'm a child of God. Who are you this morning? Who are we? If we're followers of Jesus Christ, our identity has changed. I may behave like a woman. 
but I'm a child of God. 1 Corinthians 9, 6, verses 9 through 11. Again, Paul writes this very specifically in case we have any doubts of who we've become in Christ. He says this, Don't you realize that those who, who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. But look at verse 11. Some of you were once what? Like that. That's who you used to be. But you were cleansed. You were made holy. And you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. In Christ, we become a new person. And, and this is an expression of how much God loves us. God loves us so much that he makes us his child and changes our identity. It's a whole new culture, a whole new family. We are now as children with all the rights and privileges, heirs, eternal life, abundant life. Peter goes on to say that we are a royal priesthood. I think I have it on here, 1 Peter 2. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are not like that, for you are what? A chosen people. You're a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no what? Identity as a people. Now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. God loves us so much that he changes who we are. And we need to identify with Christ. Identify as a child of God. If you're looking for an identity, if you feel like you're in a fluid state of identification, Jesus loves you enough to call you his child. And he invites us to identify that way. We are temporary residents and foreigners as we identify with Christ. We become exiles in this world because Christ becomes our primary identification. John said that, right? He said that people don't understand you're a child of God because they don't know God. That's what he says in 1 John 3, 1 through 3. He says they don't know that you're a child of God because they don't know God themselves. They can understand what you're talking about. What John is saying is, is that as we identify as God's children, the world is not going to get it. What is your identity? Someone may ask you, I'm a child of God. What? I'm a child of God. I don't understand that. Well, he wants you to be his child too. Jesus came to give his life for all those who receive him. They become a child of God. That's how much the Father loves us. And his love is not sequestered just for us individually, but for the world. John 3.16 says what? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Anyone who places faith in Christ becomes a child of God. New identity. If you're looking for an identity, Christ. David Kinneman and Mark Matlock have written a book called Faith for Exiles. It's, it's a great book. Uh, this book actually came out just before the global pandemic. So their research is... is uh, 
based on research that has nothing to do with the global pandemic. And that's why I actually have bought the book and, and I'm reading it, uh, is because he talks about why people continue to be faithful uh, to Jesus uh, if they were raised in church. This is a research done of, of people from the ages of 15 to 29 uh, who were raised in church. And, um, and it's a research of, of, of those who are continuing to be faithful and those who are not in the reasons why. So of the children that were raised in church, and then as they became adults made decisions, uh, the 10% the of those that they researched, uh, he would, they would call resilient disciples, people who continue to, to follow Jesus faithfully. Uh, he has other listings in the book. It's, it's a great book, but um, he talks about prodigals, people who are ex-Christians. About 22% of the people interviewed have totally abandoned the faith. 30% of those uh, were what he calls nomads, uh, people who are no longer in church, uh, the unchurched. And then 38% of them are people who are habitual churchgoers, but who don't have a resilient faith. So they're in church, but they don't, have a, they don't really continue to believe in Christ with this, in a resilient way. 10% of those he interviewed are, are of the resilient kind. And uh, the book is based on this understanding of what makes those who continue to follow Jesus continue to follow Jesus. Uh, this is fascinating to me because this is a question I ask all the time is um, not so much of why people stop following Jesus, but why do people continue to follow Jesus? And, and this, is, this is what they found. They found that those who continue to follow Jesus with a resiliency, with this passion, to continue to follow Jesus Christ, they were ones who had experienced a deep, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. They expressed that Jesus loved them and that they loved Jesus. Those are the ones who continue to be followers of Christ. When there was isolation and mistrust around them, they were able to form uh, meaningful relationships with the body of Christ, and also with their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We know this, right? We understand this, is that those who are resilient, those who continue to follow Jesus, love Jesus and feel loved by him. That really is the glue. That's, that's, that's the thing that continues to, to make sense. This is really where I struggled uh, as a teenager, uh, I was a, became a believer when I was uh, seven years old. Uh, I gave my life to Christ. But when I hit teenage years, I really battled uh, with who I was. And, uh, and it hinged around this issue of love. This is where I really struggled of, of who I was. I operated from shame. Uh, and uh, my life was just kind of this vicious cycle of, of irrational guilt and uh, unrealistic expectations on myself and who I was a misunderstanding of who I was, misunderstanding of God's love for me. I really believed as a teenager at some point, at some stage, I came to the conclusion that God's forgiveness was for everyone but me. Talk about ego, right? That somehow I thought I was special and unique, that God could love everyone else except for me. That's what I decided. Wrong, but it's where I was as a teenager. I, was, I believed I was a bad person, unredeemable, absolutely outside of God's ability to actually save me. This belief was coupled with these false beliefs about myself. You ready for this list? 
If you want to take notes, maybe you can relate. First, on top of the agenda was, I'm stupid. I believe that I was stupid. I believe I was stupid for, for many reasons. I can point to different teachers that I had through high school and different people who, who really convinced me that I was stupid. Uh, I don't even remember their names anymore. I just hate them. No, I'm joking. <laughs> no, I have forgiven them. Uh, but for whatever reason, I, I decided I was stupid because of what they said to me. And by the way, I never thought I was stupid because of my parents. Uh, my parents always told me I was brilliant, but I just thought that's what they had to say. You know, so I didn't allow that truth to actually penetrate. I'm ugly. And come on, guys, we all know. <laughs> that's, I mean, come on. I believed. I believed that I was so ugly. I believed that I, I was lazy. I believed that I was disorganized. I believed that I was impure, a, 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 just an unredeemable sinner, that there was absolutely no hope. And I, I forget the exact episode in my life that, that made me stop everything and go talk to my father about my situation. I, I forget exactly what happened. Why I just, I, I just couldn't take it anymore. And my dad's a pastor. Uh, my dad knows the Bible. And I thought, well, if anyone can help me, it's going to be dad. So I made an appointment with my father. And uh, praise God, I have, I have both mom and dad love Jesus with all their heart and uh, were patient with me through these times of my life. And all these lies flying through my head. And I began to just share all of these things I believed about myself to my, with my father and shared the specific episode in my life that was not going well. My dad didn't have a lot to say. He just listened. My dad's a really good listener. And then he gave me this Bible passage. Uh, I have it here for you, Isaiah 43. And I've just highlighted the parts of this passage that really scream to me. There's other parts that I've left out here, but this is what, this is what I heard with Isaiah 43, verses 3 through 4. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You are precious to me. You are honored. And I love you. What, what God is saying here in this passage is that you, he cherishes you. You're precious. You're like a treasure to him. You're honored. In other words, he respects you. He considers you to be important. And it's one of the few places in Scripture where you see the words, I love you, and it's from God. God handed me this passage. Uh, God, through my dad, handed me this passage. And that was the beginning of the journey. I'm not even sure my dad knows that, and he'll be listening to this sermon later. But, but that was a spark for me that, that sent me on a journey that lasted a couple of years of trying to understand just how very much God loves me. That was the beginning of healing. That was the beginning of this turnaround where I understood, oh, okay, so God really does love me. What an incredible thing. Dad did exactly what I needed. He didn't solve my problems. He didn't work through whatever episode it was that I was dealing with. He just said, God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. 
Here's a few other passages from uh, the author John in this letter that uh, were helpful and meaningful to me based on God's love. 1 John 3:19. This is the English Standard Version. Uh, but this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than what? Our heart, and he knows everything. I realized that, that God's love for me was greater than my ability to change it, if that makes sense. It, it, I finally realized that, that I could not control the degree to which God loves me. There's nothing I could do. There's no behavior, some horrible sin. There's, nothing, there's no person that I could be that could impact the degree to which God loved me. Because God is greater than my heart. He's greater than me. When I condemn myself, God does not. When I speak lies about God's love, I can't still impact how much he loves me. I have no control over how much he loves me. I will never be able to control the degree to which he loves me. And God loves me because his son died on a cross for us. God will love us no matter what we think about it. And we do not have the capacity to change or impact the level to which God loves us. God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. So God loves. And there's nothing I can do about it. Praise the Lord. There is nothing I can do about it. God loves. Another one, 1 John 4, 9 through 10. God showed how much he loved us by sending us his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. God has initiated this love. I don't receive God's love because something that I initiated or started. God loved me first. When I realized this, oh, okay. And, and somehow in my thinking, it finally dawned on me that that God loves me based on him, not based on me. That I could finally understand. I knew that God loved his son, Jesus Christ. He gave his son, Jesus Christ, for me. And based on the work of Jesus Christ, I am loved. And there's nothing I can do about it except for receive it as a free gift. Undeserved, yes, but receive it as a free gift. And then I can become this child of God. Undeserved, oh, yes. Undeserved. But that's the beauty of the gospel, right? It is totally undeserved. It's based on God's love, not my behavior, not my love. It's based on his love. See how very much the Father loves us, for he calls us his children. This has huge implications for us, right? I don't identify, I identify now primarily as a child of God. I don't identify based on my skin color. My skin color is now trumped by the love of Jesus Christ. I don't identify primarily by my cultural background. More importantly for me than being an American is that I'm a child of God. 
hopefully more important for you than being whatever place that you're from or whatever cultural identity you connect to is that you are a child of God. And God's identity has to, has to be greater and more important than anything else. I don't identify primarily by my gender. Boy, that's a hot topic, isn't it? I don't identify primarily by my sexual preferences. This is who I am. I like to have sex this way. What? No, I'm a child of God. I identify by my education, doctor, so-and-so, or master, blah, blah, blah. No, I'm a child of God. I don't identify by my position or influence or power. I was offered this job and I led a hundred and some odd people. I'm, a, I'm an amazing leader. No, 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 I'm a child of God. And I certainly should not identify by my weaknesses or my sin or my failures. I'm a failure. I like to sin in this way, so that's who I am now. No, no, no. I'm a child of God. How does a prisoner have hope? <laughs> Someone sitting in a prison cell, who are they? They can be a child of God, and they can live in hope. My character is now fluid. With me? and changeable because of my new fixed identity. My character is now fluid and changeable because of my new fixed identity. I am a child of God, therefore, I can be changed. My behavior can change. I can become a new person. I can become nice. I can experience joy. I can start loving people. I can be gracious. I'm redeemable. Wow, I'm smart. I'm beautiful. I'm handsome. I'm respected. This world we live in is not the end all. I live with hope of being made like Jesus someday. And I live with what John, John says, with this eager expectation of someday becoming like him. That's our destiny. Is that we are becoming more and more like Jesus. We're a child of God. That's who we are. We're a child of God. But we're becoming, our character is being changed. We're becoming more and more like Jesus. And it's running up to the point where we're going to see him face to face. And John says to us, once we see him face to face, we're going to become like him. That's the moment we're going to become just like him. That's that character you're driving for is becoming just like Jesus Christ. But who you are today is a child of God. But we're becoming. So I still sin, right? I still experience guilt. I'm guilty of sin. But that's not who I am. When I sin, I go to the Father and he forgives me. And John understood this dynamic. I want you to see these passages. It's such a powerful passage. Um, and you'll have to jump a few texts here, but uh, if you're doing PowerPoint for me, thank you ahead of time. Uh, but look at 1 John 1, 8 through 10. This is what John says. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, what? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. I'm still a child of God, but I will still sin, right? The provision, confess. Don't, don't stand wilting in this, I'm just a bad person. There's no hope for me. No, no, no. I confess my sin. 
And God is faithful, he says here. He is the one who's faithful to forgive us. Not based on my faithfulness, but based on his love, his faithfulness. 1 John 2, the next one. My dear children, I'm willing, uh, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. And he, and he says, but if anyone does sin, <laughs> we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. See how very much the Father loves us, he calls us his children. I live with this eager expectation now of becoming like him, hoping, this anticipation that I'm going to become like him. What's the plan? Well, I'm still going to sin. I'll still be guilty of different things. But healthy guilt then leads me to confess my sins before the Father. Unhealthy guilt is that, is that guilt that we experience when we refuse to go to the Father to be forgiven. And we continue. Unhealthy guilt makes us create all of these different ways that we can kind of, you know, pay for our sins ourselves. We create this list of things. Well, if I just do this and do this, finally my God will love me. No, no, no. Confess your sins before the Father. You're a child of God. Come to him knowing that you're his son, his daughter. Come to him as a child of God. Confess your sins. Based on his faithfulness, he will forgive you. That's the plan forward. And then you'll begin anticipating seeing him face to face. You'll become a person who sins less and less. Because you're anticipating that day where you're going to have that sweet reunion with the one you father. So your life now is lived in perfecting your love for Jesus Christ. You're increasing your affections for him as you understand how deeply he's affectionate for you. That's the way forward. Yes, you will sin. You'll be guilty of different things, but confess your sins. God is faithful and just to forgive you. So we don't live in shame anymore. We live identifying as children of God. Still sinning, but confessing our sin, and God is faithful and just to forgive us and bring us to become more and more like him because he continues to love us, and we increase our affections for him as we understand how much he's affectionate for us. We're becoming like him, but we are a child of God. Fixed identity, fluid character. John goes on to say to us, don't love this world or the things offered in it because this world fades. Basically, stop sinning because it's a waste of your time. Everything you're running after here in this world is not going to ever last. Line yourself up with God who lasts forever. Be, based on the foreverness of God, we continue to pursue him and intimacy with him. He's the only thing that lasts forever. He's the only one that lasts forever. Everything fades except for everything that's connected to God. So invest your life in that sweet relationship. That's the invitation. Listen, the writer of this letter knew he was loved. <laughs> That's why I love this letter so much, too, is because John, who writes this, understood that God loved him. Look what he says in 1 John 4, and I think I have 16 and following there for you. As he's finishing up his letter, this is what he says. 1 John 4, 15. <laughs> Sorry, 16. We know how much God loves us. Wow. And we have put our trust in his love. God is love. 
And all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it's for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. John operated from a perspective knowing that God loved him. And he says, what I do now, I just live perfecting that relationship with Jesus. That's where I spend my days. And there's joy there. There's joy in that relationship. There's, there's incredible satisfaction and perfection in that. Living as a child of God, character being transformed day by day as his love was being perfected in his relationship with Jesus. That's how John lived. I don't know where you are today. Maybe you're living uh, in this unhealthy guilt where you have placed uh, unrealistic, irrational responsibilities in your life and you just never seem to be free. You feel like possibly that you're unredeemable. It's possible that you're living, although maybe you are a child of God, you may be living as though you are not. As though that possibly living out of shame of that you're worthless and horrible and no good. You need to come and receive this free, excellent gift of God who loves us so much that he calls us his children. And to re-identify ourselves as a child of God. Or as Peter would call it, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, honored, loved. That's who you are. Being transformed. Let me ask you again, do you know Jesus loves you? As we ponder today, the rest of this day, as we continue to worship and love him through song this morning, I want you to think through that. Who are you this morning? Who are you? Are you a child of God? Or are you a worthless, horrible person? Flawed in every way. Or are you a child of God? Who are you? What's true about you this morning? Are you unredeemable? Are you stupid? Are you ugly? I don't see a single ugly person here today. And I'm looking. <laughs> What's true about you? What's true about you is that you are deeply loved by God. You are redeemable. You can be saved. Because God's love for you is more extraordinary than whatever you've done. What are all the lies about yourself that you believe this morning? You got your list? Put that, put that lie list before God's love and just see where it stands this morning. What would convince you that God loves you? Surely, hopefully this morning, the fact that Jesus died on a cross, that God gave his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross on your behalf, he loves you that much? Maybe that's where you can start. 
Jesus loves you. And at some point, hopefully, we can understand truly Jesus loves us. This I know. We're meant to know it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we love you. And Lord, we are amazed and shocked and surprised that you love us. But Lord, we thank you for that. Thank you that you love us enough to call us your children. Well, this morning, we, we proudly identify as children of God. Over every other type of identification, Father, we are children of you. And so, Father, we give you praise for that this morning. Lord, thank you for your patience to continue to change our character. Thank you that you are faithful to forgive us of our sins. Lord, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Rico Veca, and I am also a pastor at New Song Family Church. I want to thank you for listening to this message today, and it is my hope that you will join us again for another New Song Family Church podcast.